Is that rain or is that okay? All right. Before I start that, can I go to the men's room? <laughs> did I? Well, I did leave my water down here. I'm sorry. Pastor Dave loses it his last Sunday at Illyria. <laughs> you do know that... Uh, this is an ongoing thing for me. The more water I have, the more lubricated I am, the shorter the message. If I start getting dry mouth, people bring up bottles of water, it's just amazing. So you can see here, they... <laughs> yeah, I will need to exit. <laughs> well, I'd like to speak with you for a few minutes about something that's near to my heart. And uh, it's one of those that we speak some things that are just honest and transparent and some drawn from my, most drawn from my own life's journey uh, in ministry, uh, things I continue to grow in and learn in and desire. Uh, and uh, some of the sometimes can kind of, it's different, it shakes things up a little bit, it doesn't shake things up, it gets us maybe thinking in a different train of thought. Uh, and I remember when my own dad pastored, and I think I was, I don't know, elementary school, teen years, and he did it more than once, but he'd finish the message, and then he kind of paused and looked at the people and he said, now, do you still love me? And somebody from the back would always say, we never loved you in the first place, so. No, they were very loving and received it. These values, and I say seven, the list is much longer. I tried to pare it down to seven intrinsic values. And some we'll just touch on momentarily, and there's about three of them we'll spend a little more time with. But my question for all of us is this, what do I, what do you, what do we value? And our lifestyles, our decisions and choices will reveal that. Um, get three quick little stories here that the first one reflects the value of marriage and communication in particular. So the story goes that uh, Tom and Grace went to a marriage seminar on communication and they're sitting there and the speaker right off said, it's essential that husbands and wives know each other's likes and dislikes. And he said, for example, men, can you name your wife's favorite flower? And Tom leaned over to his wife and said, it's Pillsbury, isn't it? More than that, come on. <laughs> so their value was high for marriage, but there was some growth to take place, amen? So Frank 
wasn't known for his patience. He was more get to the point. He's a businessman, successful, and he wasn't, he just had nothing to do with negative conversation. He didn't want to dwell on it. He didn't want others that he worked with to dwell on it, his family, whatever. And so one day, it was a busy day, he gets a phone call from his wife, and she's talking kind of slow, and she's kind of talking down. And so he interrupts her and exhorts her to please be brief and please be positive. And so there's a pause on the phone, and his wife says, cheerfully, I discovered the airbags in our new BMW work great. <laughs> he valued his time, and I'm sure his vehicle. <laughs> then there is an airline and most do, value good customer relationships. This particular airline would always ask the pilot to come out of the cabin, once they're on the ground, of course, and, and greet the people on their way out. Well, it so happens this particular flight was bumpy, air disturbance, and uh, it was a long flight, and when they finally got to the ground, unfortunately, it was a very rough landing. And I, everybody's kind of sigh of relief there, and the pilot's dreading saying goodbye to the people and thanking them for flying with their airline just because of the comments he's anticipating. And to his absolute surprise, not one person complained, not one negative word. Yet there was one passenger coming down, dear lady, well up in years, with her cane, working her way down to the front. And she pauses when she gets to the captain. She said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. He, she said, um, did we land or were, or were we shot down? I get that little weak, ta-da-ta. This guy knows how to play the drums, amen? Thank you, Joe. There was a Sunday in Sandusky, Ohio, when the, uh, they have a different drum set now, but they had something similar to that we did, I should say, in those days. And... Uh, the drummers, tall guy, slender, and very capable, very good. And apparently, uh, during one of the songs, he just kind of disappears. He just goes, whoop, like this. And as it turns out, his bench broke, and the little stool, he was just over he went. So I've given him a lot of flack about that. Anyway. This is where I needed you, Jill. <laughs> Some of these folks won't get that until they get home, and maybe never, and that's okay. <laughs> so do you think I've ever had that brought to me over the decades? Do you ever get flack about your name? 
That's the first time I've heard that today. <laughs> Seven intrinsic values. This is given the fact that we believe salvation is foundational, the deeper walk, sanctification, praise to the Lord Jesus Christ, worship of him. These are givens. Those are foundations. But within that, I ask us just for a moment to look at the word intrinsic, which means naturally belonging. Naturally belonging. Intrinsic also means essential. It's essential in this application to the life and breath and movement and dynamic of a local church body, individually and corporately. So the first one I take from 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, which reads, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. If you've been around these circles very long, meaning the Church of the Nazarene or sister denominations, you know where that heads. It means living. Once I've given my life to Jesus Christ, he calls me to a deeper work, a deeper life. There's got to be something more. I felt like Shauna referenced that and what she shared earlier. And, and there is that something deeper that it, we can teach about it and talk about it, but there's something about the Holy Spirit that puts it in your heart that you are hungry for a deeper journey. So it's as though when I accepted Christ, I got all of him, and in the sanctification set apart, uh, fulfilling the purpose for which it was intended, sanctified, holy, set apart, not holier than thou, not self-righteous, none of that junk, but I am set apart by God's ordination. And by the way, I don't do it, he does it. That's the last part of that verse. Or those two verses. Now, he, I get all of him, but in this decisive, aorist tense moment, it's also progressive, contingent, I understand that, but there's an instant where I know the Holy Spirit, though I have him in my life, now he has all of me and baptizes me and purifies me and purges me, but most, very important, he empowers me. Okay, so the bottom line is this, all in. That's the first value. Am I all in or not? I heard my friend Dan Bohite speaking one time years ago, and he, he was talking about the Holy Spirit interrupting his message that he was speaking. And it's like, here are my notes, and here are, my, and here are the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit was persistent. And he heard these words. Are you in or are you out? From the Lord, he heard that. And so he acquiesced to the desire of the Spirit, and it shifted the whole direction and impact of the service. I had a similar experience. Um, I believe in being all in, but I remember on a Sunday morning at Sandusky, and 
this goes back 12 years ago, maybe, 13. And I sense something similar to what I'd heard Dan say, and it's like, there's somebody here I want to heal. Lord, we're not used to that here. That's not common ground here. It's like, Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you to absolutely fill this service within our parameters. It's awful quiet in here. Amen. And so I stopped the message and I just said to the people, look, I know you're not used to this, so many words. But I said, I just sense God saying he wants to heal somebody here. And I named what it was. And there was no immediate response. A week later on Sunday, a gentleman who's very quiet in the church, but a stellar, loving, godly man, came to me and said, Pastor, when you said that, the pain in my shoulder left and it hasn't come back. And he proceeded to show me how he could move his arm. Isn't it amazing when we obey God and get outside of our, oh, that sounds like this movement or this stream out there or these churches, that sounds like that. I don't know if it does or not. I just know I want to obey God. It's in the framework of our articles of faith. It's within the framework of our doctrine, but more importantly, it's within the framework of the Word of God in the spirit of the living God. So, Psalm 63, 1 says, you, God, are my, are my God. Check this out. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I know it's the psalmist, but what powerful God-breathed words to our day, to me, to you, to us. I learned over the years, and since I've not been full-time in the senior pastorate, I've had more time to reflect, and I've come to realize that we can get into kind of a flow that... There's nothing wrong with the flow. I mean the body of Christ, the churches. And, and we know what to say and what not to say and what to do and what not to do. And we know this ministry is functioning and, and this takes place around April every year. And, and then we da 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 and the school back to school and backpacks. And, and all of that's good and positive and things that we need to be doing. But I realized that we can ac actually end up going through form and, and there's nothing that seems to be happening in the lives of the people. They're good people, and, and some are taking strides and steps, and, and some new people are coming along the way, and, and we're able to pay our budgets, and we thank God for that, and on it goes. But in terms of there being a hunger and a thirst, and I read a verse like that, and, and I realize... When I was a little guy, you know, growing up and 
We didn't have TV. We finally got one. I was in my teens. That's hard to believe. It's just been like 20 years ago, right? Real hard to believe. <laughs> and now, you know, I can connect with internet from around the world on my phone. I remember the day when my mom would get a long distance phone call from somebody across Ohio from one of her relatives. And she would yell on the phone so they could hear on the other end. Years later, I guess she didn't realize that technology had improved so much and she did that and I talked to my uncle about it one time who would, they would call back and forth from time to time and he said, yeah, when your mom calls, we just take the phone in the bedroom and lay it in there. And I have such a hunger and drive to learn more about what's happening here, and what's happening in the body of Christ and, and this YouTube and, and this story over here. It's all right here and I can spend hours and have a hunger for it. And what lightning deals on Amazon? Uh, spiritual life and hunger for the more. A, a taste and see that the Lord is good. A living hungry. Barbara's made some healthy chocolate chip cookies. And, it, I mean, they make, I, I could, the melting in my mouth right now as I talk to you. Is, she likes them crispy and I like them soft, and so she, I guess she'll do some of each. And she's got a peanut butter cookie that she can put the chips in or not, and oh, it's so good. And I just have to tell you, when I have one, I want two. All of a sudden, half a dozen of them are gone. See, when the children were still at the house, I had some protection. I had somebody else to blame it on. Where are all the cookies? <laughs> it must be the kids. Are you with me today? When something really tastes good, you want more and you want more, and the next day you want more of it, and the day after that you want more of it. And I want to tell you that I'm concerned that we in the Christian journey have become so used to what is common to us that we're okay with an inspirational service and then boom, we go on our way. And I don't know about you, back about 14, 15 years ago, Barbara and I both were, went through some experiences and there's a whole big story with this that I don't have time to go into, but it wrecked our lives and ministry in a good way. He shook up my paradigms. I could no longer preach like I used to preach. I could no longer depend on just my notes and on the series. I would get up and literally, some days, sometimes I would go up to the media booth, Kelly, and I would take them two or three outlines. Sunday morning, I'd hand them to them and say, I don't know which one. I just know he's stirring. There's freedom in the spirit when you want more, friends. 
And it may not look what you're used to, but when God comes in and people are hungry, he feeds them, he shows up. Lives are changed. People come to know Jesus Christ, and he can do in seconds and minutes what we can't accomplish in years. And it wasn't long after that hunger drive that I ran across guys. Uh, you know what? Time doesn't allow. I could list names that you would know, and that does, it's not important. I can just tell you that people, God brought people into our lives that were on the very same journey, and they're hungry for the more. More of God, more of Jesus, more of his power, more of his presence. What we sang is so true this morning. When we get the real deal in Christ Jesus, there's nothing that can satisfy like Jesus. Second Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. So intrinsic value number three is an eternal outlook, a lens that says what I'm experiencing right now is just a, a jumping point of what will happen for all eternity and how he's going to use you or I, no matter what our ages are, by the way, God's working in and through my 100-year-old mother who sent me a text last evening saying, I'll be preaching for you, I'll be preaching for you, I'll be praying for you as you preach. Don't, don't sit yourself on a shelf and say, I've already served. I'm not young like so-and-so. I, I have a whole message to myself on that one, by the way. It's an eternal outlook. Jesus, what are you doing? I know what we do here, my next door neighbor, my friends, my loved one, people I'm rubbing shoulders with that I'm just getting to know. There's an eternal question that hangs over hearts. They're hungry for something and they can't figure out what it is. And in a day and an age where it's politically incorrect for us to speak the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, and to live for him, then instead of sucking our thumbs, we say, all the more, I want to be in your presence. I not only want more of you, but I want more of you on me, in me, through me, so that when I go out into the community, whether people like me or not, I pray, Almighty God, there's something happening in my life and in Barbara's life that says they're different. There's something there that I want. No, they don't want us. If they send something like that, they, they want what we are carrying, and that's the presence of Jesus Christ. And trust me, I've had to go back to the Lord scores of times because I know I've dropped the ball. I want more of Jesus. What I found out with the eternal outlook and the week by week, day by day, this whole mindset not everybody agrees in the body of Christ. In fact, some people question why there's so many prayer meetings. And in my mind, I'm going, what's, was the New Testament church birthed out of a committee meeting? 
or an organized institution? Or was it birth out of a spirit-filled prayer meeting? Just saying. Help us, Jesus, help me. Malachi 3.10, you're well familiar with, so I just visit this momentarily. This leads to the fourth, what I believe is an intrinsic value. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is, to my knowledge, the only place in the word where it says, it'll say test this or test that, but this is God saying, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, the one for whom nothing is impossible. And see if I will not throw home, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I've had people over the years say, Pastor, you know, we're going to do our best to start tithing. Okay, start, start with 1%, whatever. To have others say, well, do I... Do I tithe on, on the net or the gross? And I said, well, it depends on how much you want to be blessed. Just saying, amen. You know, in a day and age where things are so insecure, and it's been this way through the ages, really, but it seems to intensify as never before. It's like we want to kind of hang on to the, what we have, Right? I saw a cartoon one time of a guy being baptized. As he goes down into the water, he holds something up in the air, and it was his what? His wallet. I don't know, do we believe this or not? Do we believe this promise that he'll open the floodgates of heaven? What does that even mean? I don't know, but when I'm faithful, I keep finding out that he has ways of blessing me, us, that we never saw coming. I'm getting chills telling you this. Amen. Second Corinthians 9, 7, you must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So the fourth intrinsic value is surrendered stewardship. That's not just the treasure but it is the testimony that we have. It's the talents and gifts and abilities God has given us. It's our time. It's our temple, meaning our body, surrendered stewardship. And just quickly, I wanna to touch on this. Two things. Number one, I've run across over the years, surprise, surprise, that there are those, uh, thankfully I've not experienced it much myself, but I have seen it, heard seeing impact of it where people withhold their tithe because they don't like how and then you fill in the blank so they're willing to withhold God's money because they don't like the missionary program or whatever it might be now folks I'm not throwing stones because in many of these cases it's people that I've known and their hearts are hurting or they're upset about this thing or that thing. And someplace along the line, 
we have to agree to disagree in the spirit of Jesus Christ and say, I am not going to withhold anything to try to control the church or control a leader or control this or that. Lord, this is your money. I surrender it to you. And I may not like this or like that or whatever else. I don't like the pastor's short hair or lack thereof. I'm getting there, Pastor Scott, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm having a little fun, but that's a very serious matter. It's a matter of surrender. It's more a spiritual problem than it is a financial problem. Come on. Come on, folks. That's true. Isn't that good preaching, right? And the other thing is, I saw demonstrated uh, years ago in a church, and they, they took the offering um, in one church out in Southern California. Every, time, the, every week that they have the offering, however they do it. Now with COVID, who knows how they do it. So much of it's electronic and online anymore, but they cheer. It's a high point of the service. You know what they're saying? I get to bring Amen. my gift to Jesus. It's not, well, I say, they're not giving very much in the plate. <laughs> Look at the car they drive in their heart. <laughs> that's, that's demonic thinking, friends. Whereas when I say, Lord, my wallet's yours, my ability to even earn income is yours. You gave it to me in the first place, and this is one small way I can say I surrender all so that when I sing those words or say those words, I actually mean it, and by the grace of God and his provision, I actually can see it come to fruition in my life, and so that when I bring my offering to the Lord, whether it's a plate up front or past or in the back, I take it up, and I, I don't want to just throw an envelope in it anymore. I want to say, Lord, I, I'm giving you back a portion, and I give some to, in, in this. But, Lord, sometimes I don't know how, because, you know, it's, income has changed, you know, all these things. But, but, Lord, if you say so, you said I should, and, I, and I'm going to say, Lord, I get to. I don't have to. I saw another cartoon of the guy, plate coming down, being passed to him during the offering, and he's kind of grumbling. He's got to put the envelope in the plate. And he knew about that scripture that God loves a cheerful giver. So just as the plate was handed to him, he smiled real big. He dropped it in. I don't think that's the idea. I think God is saying this is an issue of the heart and if that's surrendered, I'll take care of your needs. You trust me and you give me a portion because you want to and you choose to and it might be a sacrifice but all the more he will bless you. Number five. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This value is huge, culture of honor. Culture of honor. 
where we actually honor one another above ourselves. And now sometimes that can challenge me. And you feel the same way? When somebody is not always kind to you or to your family? I don't know. And, and it's not just the body of Christ. I think, I, I think he's saying that's a rule of thumb with the Spirit of God within you. You're to honor people above yourselves. And Lord, the only way we can do that is with your help and your leadership. That means I'm embracing the love of Jesus Christ, acceptance, forgiveness. I want to be a gracious person like I want other people to be gracious to me. I want to beware of living in offense because that blocks what God wants to do in my life and the life and body of the church. Um, I, I simply want to honor others above myself. And I can tell you in the different churches I've served, not that it's been that many, but from seminary on where different places I was blessed to serve, there were two that I served at as associate pastors. I was a youth pastor. Can you believe that? I got over that in about three years. I realized that wasn't my calling. I said, Ronnie, I'm passing it off to you, bro. My younger brother. Okay. And uh, I can tell you, it, it's real interesting ride to go second fiddle or third fiddle. Especially when you realize you and your senior pastor don't always have the same philosophy of ministry. Imagine that. You don't always share the same values. Imagine that. Now, I was blessed to serve as district secretary for a number of years, and if you know anything about it, you know every church, once a year, turns in a report. And if you're not a senior pastor, where you're turning one of those in, then you filled out an elder's report, they call it, or a local pastor, whatever. Uh, but you... This minister's report has to go in. And so now that I'm no longer pastoring full-time, I do fill out one of these once a year and email it in and so forth. And years ago, a dear friend of mine, uh, no longer serving on this district, um, I read his report as district secretary because, you know, those get sent in if somebody needs to read them and look at them. Um, I just about weep because it was, it was a very sizable church. And this associate pastor on his report wrote something like this. I want to do anything I can in serving the Lord to honor my senior pastor. I want to stand alongside of him supporting and help share in that vision. When I stepped back from serving as, as district secretary and I realized they dispose of those reports after so many years or whatever, I took that one and kept it. It meant that much to me. And I've been to that church, and I can tell you to this day, to the best of my knowledge, you will experience the culture of honor within the church body. Why? Because it's practiced from the headship down to the leadership, through the staff, 
They believe in honoring one another. Whew. You know what? I sense that clearly in this church, and it thrills me overwhelmingly. First Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who direct affairs of the church well are the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work, whose work is preaching and teaching. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are leaders in the church, in, I'm sorry, in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peaceably with each other. There's probably a message series in those two verses. But I just quickly give number six of seven of intrinsic values. Support your shepherd. Support your leadership. But support your senior rancher, as they're also known. A person who touches other people, who touches other people, who touches other people. It's a whole discipleship plan. But supporting the head elder, the head pastor, the head shepherd. Love, support, stand behind, pray for God's servant for this season, double honor, and I get on my knees. If I'm on a church board, Lord, you guide us because we want to fulfill your scripture because we know that when we fulfill your scripture, we not only want honor our Parsonage family, we honor you. We fulfill your word. And you know what? As I was blessed over the years, so many times I remember standing before the congregation, Pastor Flack, come up here, bring your family. And I'm just, and they knew I just wasn't excited about being called up in front of them. And they finally say, Pastor, hold your head up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and they would honor us in different ways over the years. Did that mean they always agreed with me or us? No, but it meant they desired to fulfill the word of God and to love us and to honor us. And you know what? God bless the church. <laughs> I could go for a while on that one. I mean, when I could go on and on, and you can too, so I won't. <laughs> But one of my favorites was when um, Pastor Scott, about 20 years ago-ish, I was granted sabbatical. I'd been well beyond what they said for years, and they said, Pastor, you need to go on sabbatical. So they granted a, a six-week sabbatical. And uh, the first week of that sabbatical, I basically worked in my office trying to get ready to go on the rest of the seven weeks. And the first, you know, I'm in the, okay, is this taking, you know, yeah, take care, yeah, I gotta get this, you know, the kid, Ma, Barbara's, okay, yeah, and so all this stuff is get, being done, and there was a couple in that church, they're both in heaven now, but they weren't loaded in money, but their bills were paid and they had a little extra here and there and were faithful to the church and and she mothered me a little bit un poquito and she comes to me 
I think it was uh, Wednesday afternoon of that week. And she said, Pastor, about like that, almost like son. And she knew my proclivity. She said, her husband's name and I, she called him by name, okay, have rented you and your family a condo for a month at Myrtle Beach on the beach. And then she looked me square in the eye. She said, it starts this Saturday. I mean, she was serious. She said, go. I said, yes, ma'am. I got down there. I didn't want to go back. I think it was in March or something like that, and it was warmer than it was in Ohio, but friends, that water was still cold. But I didn't care. <laughs> I read more. I grew. I'm just talking to you about the love of God through his people, the laity who say we love our pastor and family. I know you're going to do that with Pastor Scott and his family. I've never talked to Pastor George and Linda about it. I know you love them, so I assume you did the same for them. God bless you for that. I know some of you were here in the days of Jay and Judy Hawes, dear friends of mine. And Jay's quick exit, so there's that. But friends, you know what? You take this day and you go forward and you build on the foundation of laity who have gone on before you and great leaders and pastors who have gone on before you and you say that now is our springboard how can we love our pastor how can we stand behind him? and by the way pastor scott didn't know i was going to preach this all right just need to make that known you owe me 10 though <laughs> i'm just i'm just kidding all right so then, number seven. Are you ready for number seven? You ready for me to land this plane? <laughs> yeah, please. I better have a sip of water. So, number seven has three thoughts, and I'll keep them brief. Number seven, watchman on the wall. Watchman on the wall. If any of you have any connections with Corey Jones, make sure you get the message that he preaches and that incorporates this. Corey Jones is a Nazarene church who is a church of prayer, a house of prayer um, in Fort Worth, Texas. Isaiah 62, 6-7 talked about standing on the wall and I'll just kind of give you a synopsis. Jerusalem, I have stationed guards on your walls. They must never be silent day or night. You call on the Lord and must not give yourselves any rest and don't give any rest until he makes Jerusalem secure. Don't give him any peace, meaning God any peace until people all over the earth praise that city. So they were praising, fasting, calling on God. They, they were watching over God's city, if you will calling on God. Rend the heavens, open the heavens over us, Lord God. 
We know we have been a disobedient, rebellious people. We know our land is that way. But God, we're not going to give you rest because we believe greater things are on their way and they're beginning to explode around us if we'll only know them and see them. And we're hungry for more of that. Oh Lord, rend the heavens. Open the heavens above our church here in Illyria, our homes. Oh, Lord Jesus, our emotions go up and down, and we have a good day and a bad day, and I have this surgery, and i got this going on. But in the midst of that, I tell you, Lord, I believe you're on the throne, and you're omniscient and sovereign, and I can trust you to take care of us and take care of us here right now. And so I praise you, and I honor you, and I worship you, and Lord, oh, by the way, I'm not going to nag you, but I'm not going to give you any rest, according to this passage. Someplace over in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says pray without ceasing. It's a lifestyle. The second part of this is, uh, by the way, Colossians 4, 2 fits in this, but we don't have time to go there. That's standing on the wall. Second is standing in the gap, and you already know this one, Ezekiel 22, 30. Stand before me in the gap, and we can go on and on with that. That's intercession. That's intercession. That's day or night, whenever the Lord puts it on your heart. You get that little, it's not a voice, but there's a voice. There's that little ping that it wasn't your iPhone or Android, whatever. It's the Spirit of God saying, pray for so-and-so. Or maybe during the night, you awaken and suddenly realize, I need to pray for. But some are called to be intercessors. And we need those people. I think I, one of the Sundays I was here, I think I mentioned Bob. But Bob was the one who left a trail all the way around the property. When we moved from one property to another back about 12 years ago, he started a trail because he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And prayed. He was the one who prophetically came to me before we ever moved from the old location to the new location. And he said, Pastor, I don't know how this can be, but it's during the summer, but next spring, I see a white building and, and I see African-American. He said, I don't know what that means. I said, I don't either, Bob. And the next spring, the whole miracle of the new building that they're in right now, a white brick building and my dear brother Bishop Jones and predominantly African American congregation moved into our former church he prophetically spoke that he marched to the beat of a different drum but it was one that I liked he was an intercessor he's the one that on, on a Saturday I happened to look out my office window it's on, it was on first floor and and I kind of do a double take. I'm in working on my message for Sunday. And there on the ground is Bob, prostrate, calling on God to move upon the pastor as he prepares for tomorrow. Lay on his heart what needs to be laid there. That's what I mean. Now, my intercession is different than Bob's. And your intercession will be different than mine. But I'm telling you, when he calls us to stand on the wall, when he calls upon us, he trusts us to stand in the gap. And then thirdly, he calls us 
to stand in his presence. Psalm 91, 1 and 2, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Friends, I don't know if you've ever been there. I'm sure you have. But where the presence of God absolutely surrounds you and you soak in his presence and it changes you. And it goes on to verse 2. And there are other references to that, that give more strength to that. I, I, uh, I recommend this book, If You Are a Reader, by Rhonda Huey. She's from a different tribe, but most, very little difference from our own stream, if you will, tribe, meaning the Nazarene Wesleyan movement. In her book, Desperate for His Presence, Amen, the pastor declares as the morning worship service concludes and the worship leader finishes playing the final song. Very nice service, variety of interesting activities, special drama presentation, update on missionary family overseas, children's special song, and upcoming fundraiser for the new youth center. But something tugs at the heart. What's wrong, you think, inside? That's a normal service, nothing unusual. The worship was uplifting, the sermon was encouraging, and there was a prayer time when I felt such peace, and you hope that somehow that peace will last throughout the week. And reality begins to seep into your mind and thoughts and race ahead of you to the coming week, and, and you take one more look at the people leaving the sanctuary. But something is wrong. You can't quite put your finger on it. You feel a longing in your heart for something more. You wonder if there's something missing or maybe someone. Rhonda tells in that book how she went and she gives the land where she went overseas. And the fire of God was on this particular institute where she was at for a season of time. And she said in chapel after chapel service and service after service, the students would come together, the faculty, adults, community people, whatever, the manifest presence. I'm not talking about omnipresent where he's always present. I'm talking about the manifestation of God's presence was in every service because people prayed and, and they waited on God. And they were so hungry for more. And they were desperate for his presence. That they were willing to set their own schedules aside. And other things that mattered to them. And they pressed into his presence. And it was impacting every service. And she said, when I came back stateside, I wasn't here too long before it, pretty much what I read there is what she was experiencing. She said, there was nothing wrong with the services of the people. It's just that the manifest presence had not been encountered. It's that God never came and really showed. And, well, Pastor Dave, what does that look like? I, I can't describe it because we never know how God's going to show up. He might show up in somebody's testimony. He might show up in Wood Kelly or Shana's. It might come through fellowship back there. It might come in, this, in the Sunday school classroom when God begins to move. And the Sunday school teacher says, well, we have to shift a different direction because God's moving in here. I mean, we, we had a season of that, and I'm sorry to say it was just a season, but during 
during the offering. I had a couple people come up to the altar to find Jesus Christ. And I just went down and I said, I'm sorry, this isn't the altar call. Wait till the end of the service. Go back to your seat. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. I believe it was the same season that, that I told you, I think, back weeks ago when I came in on a Sunday morning and I found about seven men in the church. Nothing against women. There were a couple of ladies there, but these men were feeling called to that and they were interceding before worship practice began. They're in, on, on their faces calling out to God. Now, let me tell you, Pastor Scott, that creates an atmosphere where you can preach. No. That creates an atmosphere where God can work because he knows he's wanted and the manifest presence of God begins to show up. Well, I'm way past time, but it's my last Sunday. What can you do? Let me go? I guess so. <laughs> I didn't give you this scripture, Kelly, and I apologize. Ezekiel 48:35. Ezekiel 48:35, and with this I do end. I'm telling you, life is short. We so desperately need Jesus. We need his presence in our lives, but we need him in every gathering, whether it's a meeting or a service or a Sunday school picnic, I'm sorry, whatever. We just need awareness of his peace, of his presence, of his power, working, working, working. And I, I know this is more of a prophetic scripture in which it was written it's describing Jerusalem the distance around will be, and it, it, this is prophetically speaking, about 5.8 miles, 18,000 cubics. But this last statement in the book of Ezekiel, this last statement has really gripped my, hearts, my, my heart. And the name of the city from that time on will be Yahweh Shama. Yahweh Shama. The Lord is there. That's my prayer for you. And for us, that when people walk in this place, they might have all sorts of activities during the week. But when we come in for a gathering, a prayer meeting, a song service, a, a concert, a worship service, Lord, that's what we want, Yahweh Shama. The visitor going to come in for the first time and say, They had an interesting interim pastor there. I didn't get much out of what he said, but I sure encountered something different. The presence of God. Amen. So I leave you with that challenge. And I want to pray for you. And before somebody shoots the plane down, I'm going to land it. <laughs> so we release this to you. And as Barbara and I are called upon to fulfill other assignments, potentially, however you lead, we're okay with that. But God, I just pray a mighty move of the Holy Spirit, of baptism, of purity, of power. I pray there'll be a hunger and a thirst for more of you as never before in the past. I pray there'll be an overwhelming flood of the presence of Jesus week by week in every activity. I pray covering over Pastor Scott and his family, 
over every one of the board members, over other leaders in the church, whether that be missions or children or, or nursery workers or, or whatever it might be. God, everyone, let them experience and encounter your presence, your manifest presence. But I pray, build that hunger right now. And then I also pray, most importantly, if there's anybody here today that would say, Lord Jesus, you've spoken to my heart. There's some things I need to surrender. There's some things I need to do. Maybe there's even somebody here who listens later who says, I, I, I don't have that presence, that power in my life. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive any sin. Forgive any iniquity. I want to be set free. Any bondage, any chains, any agreements I've made with the enemy, I'm praying that you sever them now. And I, walk in, I want to walk in the freedom of the Spirit. So if I put my faith in you, I trust you to forgive me of any sin and wrongdoing in my life. And I will walk with you the rest of my days. So Lord, we surrender anybody who's prayed that or any other prayer related to how you may have spoken uh, today. And we give you all the glory. Thank you for these people, for this patient people. But thank you most of all, Lord Jesus, for how I believe that you've been stirring and working in hearts today in this service. It's in the great name of Jesus Christ that we pray and for his glory and all the people said, amen, amen. So be it in Jesus' name. Yahweh Shama, the Lord is there, amen.